Welcome to the Zion Church Podcast. We are a church that is passionate about bringing heaven to earth by following Jesus, who demonstrated perfect Christianity. We hope you are blessed by this teaching from Josh Wood. Today, we're going to read a couple little portions of scripture. The first one is in James chapter 3. Who loves the Bible? Oh my gosh. James chapter 3, verse uh, 13 to 17 is our first little portion of scripture. We're only going to look at two today. The second one's a little bit longer. And then I want to share a couple of testimonies that, of my life that relate to this scripture. <clears throat> James 3 verse 13 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness. Of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Wow. Man, I'm so thankful for the Word of God. I'm so thankful that it is crystal clear that as we have thoughts and things come in our mind and wisdom that if it, if it looks like that it's peaceable, it's willing to yield, it's pure, it's gentle, it's full of mercy and good fruits without hypocrisy, guess what? That's come from above. But it says this, that if, there is envy, if there's bitter envy and self-seeking in our hearts, it can actually be a filter to what we hear. If there is bitter envy and self Seeking. Remember, Jesus told us that we can't even be his disciple unless we what? Deny our self. Christian community, church community, isn't this race for, yeah, I've got this ministry and I've got this anointing and I'm going to climb my way up the ladder. Guys, there is no ladder. The only ladder is from here to heaven, which the angels go up and down on. There is no ministry ladder. The only way to go in ministry is down, to be the servant of all. But if you have self-seeking in your heart, and you're, you know, you're in it for you and what you're going to get, and you get envious of other people, well, they got that thing, you know what, that doesn't come from above. I love how the Bible is so crystal clear because it says that this wisdom is earthly, okay? It's sensual. Remember we talked about this before. The kingdom of God starts inside. It starts in your spirit and it works its way into your soul and then in and out through your body. The enemy works the other way. He gets from the outside. He tries to come in through your senses to get into your soul and then ultimately to your spirit, man. So this kind of a wisdom earthly wisdom, it's sensual, but at its heart it's actually demonic. Self-seeking, envy, all these things. Remember, that's why the devil fell. He lusted after the throne of God. He was self-seeking. He was 
had bitter envy in his heart. He thought, I want what God has. That's not from above. That's not from God. That's from ultimately the devil. I want you to have a look at something. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read just a a little bit longer of a portion of scripture here. But there's a reason for it. Um, So the reality is, is that when we're making decisions in life, when we're making decisions from heaven's perspective, from heaven's wisdom, it doesn't always look like wisdom to man. The wisdom of heaven is an earthly wisdom. Sometimes it's not sensual wisdom. It doesn't make sense to the carnal mind, but it makes sense to heaven. Luke chapter 9, I want to read a portion of scripture here. We're going to read probably a good little chunk. Um, and we're going to, I'm going to sort of break it down and talk about it a little bit. But it says this, starting in verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons. How many demons? All of them. Wow, that's, that, that's a lot, hey? <laughs> that's all of them. All demons and to what? Cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Why do we heal the sick? Because it's a part of the kingdom of God. It's a part of the gospel. Uh, I'm never going to apologize for the emphasis that we make on these things. If you don't like that we emphasize the healing of the sick and emphasize the gifts of the spirit, you know what? You don't have to stay here. Because the reason is, is that we're following Jesus and it was an emphasis in Jesus's life. It's an emphasis in the word of God. The the word of God commands us to follow Jesus and do what Jesus did. Everywhere Jesus went, he healed the sick. In fact, here in this little, uh, this little passage here, this, um, this, this phrase, it says that he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Paul talks about it a number of times in the, uh, in the New Testament as well. He says that he has fully preached the gospel in mighty signs and wonders and deeds. So the, the gospel was never meant to be preached apart from the healing of the sick, apart from signs and wonders. That is a part and parcel of the preaching of the gospel. It was never meant to be divided. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey. Okay, what? He sends them out to preach the gospel. Don't take anything, guys. You know, you go to school camp and the school gives you a whole long list. You've got to take a backpack, a sleeping bag, a pillow. Don't forget a couple of pairs of underpants and socks, that sort of a thing. Jesus is saying, guys, here's your list. It has nothing on it. How would you feel? Don't take anything for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Okay, this is getting worse. And don't even have two tunics apiece. So just take one tunic. Just take the clothes on your back. Who would sign up for Jesus' mission training school? Sounds amazing, hey? Rock up with the clothes on your back. I'm about to send you out, sheep among wolves. You know what? Don't even take a second set of clothes. Don't take any money. Don't take any bread. Don't even take a bag. If you've got a couple of staffs, just take the one. That'll do. Amazing. Probably no one would go with me on a mission trip if that was the, uh, the list that I gave you. That's Jesus' list. 
This is what he says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. There it is again, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. There's a couple of quick things I want to say about that. Um, is that in the, uh, the Matthew account of this, he talks about that, that God will provide through a person of peace in different towns, that there'll be provision, that they'll feed you, they'll look after you. God will make sure that you're provided for. But it says this here, all right? He says that if they don't receive you, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, I want to say this, and it's important to, to, to see this is truth, okay? He talks about it a lot more in Matthew, but I've actually heard people preach. I've heard someone preach. Uh, they've put a different spin on this, and they've talked about how rabbis went around, and if the dust of the rabbi got on the disciples, it was like a blessing. And they try and spin this passage like that if you shake the dust off from you, that you're actually leaving your blessing on that town. That is not the Bible. I'm sorry. I know it sounds good, but it's actually not what Jesus is preaching. Jesus says in Matthew, Matthew, that if they don't receive you, shake the dust off. We just read it. What? As a testimony against them, not for them, as a testimony against them. And Jesus says that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah for those cities. So that's not a like, hey, you don't receive me. Here's some blessing dust on you. That's no, that's not the gospel. Sorry. Sorry if you heard that. It's actually not what Jesus said or Jesus meant at all. It's important to understand that. Okay. We've got to make sure that we preach love for how it actually is. We don't decide what love is. God decides what love is. God is love. But you know what? That's, there's a big difference between saying God is love to saying love is God. God is love, but love is not God. Love isn't what we think it is. Love is what God says it is. And I know for some of us that we have a hard time understanding that, but there's a reason for it, and I'm not going to go into it today. Okay, makes perfect sense. I'm sending you on a mission trip. People are going to want to kill you. Don't take anything. You'll be right. She'll be right. Jesus must have, that was his Aussie side. Jesus. But Lord, what are we going to eat? Ah, she'll be right. Okay. Verse 7, now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed. That's an interesting result. Herod heard about the miracles of Jesus, and the end result was that he was confused. He was perplexed, all right? Because it was said, why? why was he perplexed? Because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Okay, so Herod's sitting in his, in his uh, palace. He's hearing these stories about Jesus. And he's like, who is this guy? And all the, he's hearing different reports from different people. Oh, he's John, come back from the dead. He's one of the old prophets. He's a bit confused. He's saying, well, I've cut John's head off. It can't be John. I don't know who this guy is. I want to find out more about him. Okay. And the apostles, when they had returned, verse 10, so he sends, sends them out in verse 1, come back to verse 10. Now they're coming back. When they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then, uh, then he uh, took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. 
And when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. There's the healing again. Now, I love this. Jesus wasn't, he was taking some time out with his disciples. He wanted to debrief, spend some time with them. But the multitudes followed him and actually kind of changed his plans. Do you see that? They changes. I love how this happens in scripture. It's like when, when Mary came to Jesus uh, at, at the wedding feast in Canaan. He's like, Mom, don't get all excited. It's not my time. My time hasn't yet come. She completely disregards what God in the flesh says, turns to the servants and says, do whatever that man tells you to do. So what does he do? He goes on to multiply and make um, wine from, from water. I love it. I love how much of an influence we have on the heart of God. He's looking... God isn't looking for a monologue. He's looking for a dialogue. He's looking for a relationship. Sometimes he says things in scriptures not to say this is the end of the story, but he says things to see what our response is going to be. It's kind of like when God appeared to Abraham and told him about the coming judgment of Sodom. And who knows that Abraham was like, had this little discourse going with God. It's like, but God, what happens if there's you know, a hundred righteous men. What happened? And he gets down to, what if, what if there's just one? Will you spare the city if there's just one? And each time God, it seemed like God was relenting. But who knows God's not, you know, not relenting in that sense that, that, you know, that was his plan all along. He was looking to see what kind of response he was going to get from Abraham. And I believe he's doing that for us guys, for the church. Even when we look at these days that we live in, he's wanting to see what we, how we respond and what we do with the kingdom. Uh, So he healed them, uh, and it says here, verse 11, When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country, and lodge and get provisions, for we're in a deserted place here. Here we go again, okay? They're out in a deserted place. There's a multitude of people, thousands of people, okay? I don't know how many exactly, thousands. There's 5,000 men plus women and children in that place. So here we have the disciples again. They're looking at the situation with their eyes and they're trying to understand what they should do. And they're looking in the money bag maybe. They're looking at the, the pantry, the food they've got. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. You know what? The best thing for us to do is send these people away. Let's have a look at what Jesus says. Verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. (laughs) I would love to have seen the look on their face when he said that. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we go and buy for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Okay. Now Jesus is training them not to think as they have been thinking the whole life. Jesus was training them to understand how the kingdom of God works and to begin to see and to make decisions according to the wisdom that comes from above, not the wisdom that comes from the earth. When Jesus said, you feed them, who knows he knew how many fish and loaves of bread they had. Okay, He wasn't like, oh, are you kidding? I thought we had a thousand loaves of bread. Oh, wow, we probably should go into town and buy some bread there. He's looking for a response. He's looking to see if they've caught something. Then he said to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all to sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Where's this wisdom come from? 
from heaven. He looks up to heaven. He blessed and broke them. In other Gospels, it says that he gave thanks. He gave thanks for the little that they seemed to have. And he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. Now, think about this for a moment, okay? You're there, you're in the group of the disciples. You've got, what was it, five fish and two loaves of bread? Uh, two, five loaves and two fish. Now, imagine this, okay? He blessed this staff. There's maybe 10,000 people, and then Jesus broke it up. Now imagine you come up to Jesus, you get your little portion to hand out, he breaks off just the tail of a fish, or so maybe the fish head. Okay, he breaks the fish head off and gives it to you. And then you've got like, how many people you have to feed with this fish head? Think about this. What would be going through your mind? Maybe some of us, maybe most of us will be looking at the tiny little morsel of food that we'd have in our hands. Look at the big crowd of people thinking, I do not know what he's thinking here. How is this going to work, Jesus? I don't think you really thought this one through too much, Lord. Think about this. As they're doing what the Lord said, they're walking to these groups of people with this tiny little bit of food. Think about that journey inside their own heart, their own mind. And it says this, uh, uh, they gave them to, to the disciples to set before the multitude, verse 17, so they all ate and were filled. They didn't just have a little speck each. You have one eyeball, I'll have the other. They all ate and were full. They ate so much that they were full. And not just that, but 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. That's, that's incredible. I love it. Verse 18, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? Who else just had this conversation a few verses prior? Herod, wasn't it? Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. But then this is the question that Jesus asked them. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. You see, we have here in this little portion of Luke is that Jesus is stretching his disciples He's stretching them to perceive, to hear, and to understand that they don't operate according to the system of this world, but they operate according to the system of the kingdom of heaven. Here we have Herod. He's sitting there. He's hearing these reports about who Jesus is. The end result was he was confused. I'm pretty perplexed. I'm a bit confused about who this fellow is. Here we have Jesus talking with the disciples. Peter's hearing people say, oh, he's Elijah. He's, he's, um, he's John the Baptist come, come back to life again. But Peter tapped into something. He tapped into the wisdom of heaven. He heard the Father speak to him. He heard a witness in his heart of who Jesus was, that Jesus was the Son of the Most High God. He was the Messiah. So, you know what the reality is, is that in order for us to get where we need to be, 
earthly wisdom is not going to cut it, guys. In order for you as a son or a daughter of God to step into the fullness or to step into your destiny in God, you are not going to get there through sensual and earthly wisdom. If the decisions that we're making about the kingdom are made because we've checked our bank account this week and then we made a decision accordingly, what kind of wisdom are we listening to? Is it the wisdom that comes from above? Or is it maybe earthly wisdom, sensual wisdom? You know, you've heard it, probably heard it said before that there is no testimony without what? A test. We all want to have testimonies of God doing great things, but you know what? A test leads to a testimony. The reality is, is not all of us want to be tested. I love the faith of the disciples that tiny little bit of food going out to the multitude at the word of the Lord. I want to share just a couple of quick little testimonies here from my own life about some uh, nonsensical wisdom, <laughs> some heavenly wisdom that makes no sense to this earth, things that I've done at the, at the voice of the Lord that has resulted in blessing and breakthrough. I remember uh, one such time was, uh, was there was a time when I was working in an office and the Lord had told, told me that we're to go to America for a month. And so uh, when you're working full time, when you're working for someone and you've got a boss, you don't always just get to go to the boss and be like, hey boss, God told me that like, I need to take a month off. <laughs> you know how that's gonna fly? Like a lead balloon, and, and trust me, it did. Um, but this is the thing, is that uh, sometimes God asks us to do things that doesn't make sense. And in fact, I'm telling you the truth, that you will not get to where God wants you to be if you make every decision because it makes sense to the natural mind. You won't get there. So anyway, I left that. Um, yeah, so anyway, so the boss said, look, you know, we're not going to give you a month's leave. If you leave, that's it. You leave your job behind. And I believe at that point in time, the boys are really little. I was the only um, breadwinner in the family. And so here we are. Um, I'm the only one working. The boys are really little. Elijah was probably a baby, maybe at the time. And God's basically telling me to leave my job. Now, some of you, if I went and told you that, you'd be like, eh, I don't know about that. Like, why would God tell you to do that? You're going to look after your family? Absolutely. I've been looking after my family, but I knew in that moment the Lord had told me to go. Anyway, we prayed about it, made the decision, and I stepped down from my job. And I remember the last day I came in, they were like putting my job up on Seek and all the rest of it online as I was there, like before I left. I'm like, wow, they didn't really muck around. They're like already trying to replace me. Um, and so I left, not even knowing what was there for me if I came back. But I went at the word of the Lord. And so I, we went to America, had a ridiculously blessed time. God did what God does, as he always does, blows, blows it up in a good way. I come back. I hadn't even been back for a week, maybe a couple of days. And the general manager called me. I'm like, this is really weird. Picked up the phone. He said, hey, Josh, I heard that you're back in town. I'm like, yeah, I am. I just got back a couple of days ago. He said, well, look, I just want to tell you that um, we tried to replace you 
in fact, we tried to place you two or three times. And in the last month, no one could do your job the way that you're doing it. He said, look, I don't know if you've got something else going on, but, you know, would you be willing to come back and take step back in your old job again? So I straight away went straight back into my old job. Okay? Doesn't make sense. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what this is going to look like. But I'm being obedient to the voice of the Lord. Let me share another testimony. Uh, the very first time I was, we were going to go to minister in Japan, I remember one time, I'll make it really short. Uh, I'll try to anyway. Don't worry, Dwayne. I'm doing my best, buddy. Pray for me. Intercede. I know you are over there. Under that beautiful beard of yours, you're interceding for me on my behalf. Um, I'm minding my own business in prayer, in the secret place at the end of 2012, just spending time with Jesus, and all of a sudden I have a full-blown vision for Japan. I'm not going to go into great detail, but literally it was a full vision. I could tell you word for word everything the Lord told me about Japan, but ultimately that He was sending me to Japan. Now, I didn't know anyone there. Uh, I hadn't ministered there um, in Japan. And I'm like, all right, this is, wow, this is great. This is amazing. So uh, over the course of the next few months, you know, I come up a couple of times in conversation. And literally, God wasn't opening, didn't seem like God was opening any doors for me to go to Japan. It was probably about nine months had passed. And there was one day that I was fasting and praying and interceding specifically for Japan. Because remember, the Lord had told me, he said, Josh, I'm not going to send you there unless you begin to fast and pray and, and love this nation the way that I love this nation. So I began to do that, pray for Japan. And I remember one day I was fasting and praying specifically for Japan. And it was maybe about midday. And all of a sudden I heard the Lord say, I want you to book flights to go. And I'm like, whoa. Okay, that's really out of the blue. Remember, I don't know anyone there. Nine months had passed. No door had opened. No one called me up and said, Hey, Josh, I'm a pastor in Tokyo. Would you come preach at my church? Nothing like that was happening. I didn't know anyone. I'm like, okay, that was the Lord. I felt like that was Jesus. I Google flights to Japan. Within that hour, Jetstar had released uh, two-for-one flights to Japan. Literally, within that hour, the Lord told me. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I go and talk to Elise, as I do. And I'm like, honey, this is what I'm feeling. Elise is amazing. Her response is always the same. It's like, well, if God's told you to do that, then we need to do what the Lord's told us to do. And I'm like, but the thing is this, is that it's not half price tickets. It's two for one. So if I go, you go. And if you go, then the boys have to come too. So anyway, she's like, but where are we going to go? And I'm like, I have no idea. I do, I, honestly, I don't know where we're going to go. But the Lord said to book tickets. Remember, nine months since the Lord had told me to go to Japan, I booked tickets to go randomly. Uh, a, a couple of weeks after that point in time, I was meant to be in the United States. And I booked it for just about when we came back from that trip. And so anyway, I booked the tickets within like two days. I had a phone call uh, from someone. I won't even mention the person's name because I don't like doing that because people think you're name dropping. But a friend of mine who's at Bethel Church and he contacted me out of the blue and I remember just a random conversation many months prior and I mentioned about Japan. He contacts me within two days or, some, or so, like no longer than that, of me booking this flight, calls me up and says, hey Josh, for some reason you've been in my heart and I feel like I need to connect you with Bethel's contact in Japan. 
He said, I, what, you know, I'm, I'm going to send this email through and I want to put you in touch with him. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Anyway, this guy in Japan, his name was Jeff. And uh, there were two areas the Lord showed me in Japan where I, in that vision I saw the fire of God break out. And this man, Jeff, lived in one of those areas down near uh, Osaka. And uh, anyway, uh, that next week, I go to the United States. I'm in California. Uh, I'm on my way to minister at a conference in Wichita. I swing down to, uh, I forget where it was, in Murrieta, Murrieta, uh, to go and see another friend of mine, Dan. Uh, I won't say his name because I'm not name dropping either, but I go to see him. He's ministering at a church conference, a church I'd never been to. I just went down there to see Dan on my way up to uh, Kansas, the other side of the country. I go down there to the church. It happens that the pastor of that church, his name is Jeff as well. And his, his last name uh, is Taguchi. When I hear this name, I'm thinking, Taguchi. It's like Italian or something like, like that. And I go and I meet Jeff Taguchi. Anyway, I meet him. Guess what? He's Japanese. You guys know Japanese surnames better than me. Anyway, I meet this guy. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. He's Japanese. And I share with him my heart for Japan. This is what he says. I've just met the guy. He doesn't know me from a bar of soap. He says, I know exactly who to connect you with. He connects me with someone who is in another part in Kanto, up in Tokyo, in another part. Those are the two areas the Lord showed me in a vision. And the guy that he connected me with, uh, his name is Takeshi. So they were the first two people. So long story short, I come back from America and now God has connected me with two people, one in each of two regions that I saw in that vision. But you know what? All of that happened just after I made that decision to book those tickets. What would have happened if I didn't book those tickets? I don't know. Nothing. Nothing, maybe. But needless to say, I went on. I met those people. And and that was 2013. And now Takeshi and his wife, Chia, have known them, poured into them over the years, the last whatever, it's nine years. They are planting Zion in Japan. Takeshi, the second person God connected me with in Japan. All right? And, and in that, those, all those years, we've seen God do just radical things. So many people saved, healed, delivered, radical signs and wonders. I know both um, uh, Jimma. Is Jimma here? Is he? He's gone. Jimma, you let the team down, bud. Where's Matt? He's in. Okay, so Matt, they've, they've been to Japan with me as well. Um, but that was that first time I went to Japan. I want to share a couple other quick testimonies. Um, one is another time that we felt the Lord told us to give uh, one of our cars away. And so we had a second car, and there was a couple that we felt the Lord told us to give them our car. Uh, who knows, we could have like just held on and been like, well, Lord, it's only 10%. I'll give them a spare tire. How about that? God said, no, give them the whole car. So we did. We gave them the whole car, gave it away. And it meant that as a family of four, we didn't have a secondary car. But I remember many years after that, many years had passed, that they came back to us and they had sold the car and they gave us a, a sum of money to say, hey, we sold the car and felt to give you the whole lot back to you. I remember another time, years and years and years ago, I was a lot younger at the time, younger than I am today. And I remember walking through a car park one time and I was just sharing Jesus with someone. I was so excited. And then I felt like I needed to look down. I'm walking through this car park. It was a broad beach, the car park right there at Karua Surf Club. And as I looked down, I literally see a wad of cash at my feet. 
And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. I pick it up. I think it was like 400 bucks or something like that, all rolled up with a rubber band. So you know what that means. It's either drug money or, or, or Nan's, you know, shop money. I don't know, grocery money. I don't know. But I pick this thing up and I'm like, what do I do? There's a lot of money. I'm looking around. There's no one here. I go to the police station to hand it in. As I'm going to the police station, I'm sitting there and the officer's like, are you kidding? I'm like, yeah, I've come to hand this cash in. He's like, seriously? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what happens if someone needs us to pay for their rent or, you know, I'm going to hand it in. So anyway, I do, as I do that, he's like, okay. So he gets out a form and starts writing, you know, filling out this form for me to hand in this money. As I'm sitting there at the seat, I'm looking out the front door of the police station and there's a, there's a man and a woman out the front arguing. All of a sudden it turns violent. He begins to beat her up. And so I, I'm, no one else sees it but me because they're in the dark. I shout out to the cops. They all jump over the desk and we literally all run out the front of the police station and break this thing up. He runs away. So it was a bit of a wild night. I come back in and anyway, I hand this money over and the policeman said, I forget what the drill is now, but it's something like, if you hand this in, if no one comes to claim it in whatever period of time, then it's yours. And I'm thinking, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen? Anyway, uh, the time came, no one came to pick it up. Uh, and so they called me and said, this is yours to pick up. You know what I felt to do with that money? I gave it all away, the whole lot, all of it away. And so this is the thing is that sometimes God is calling us to live a certain way that doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense, guys. None of these stories make sense. But you know what? God was in every one of them. I want to share one last story and then I'll, I'll probably finish for tonight. Uh, this last one definitely did not make sense. Uh, this was in 2015. Uh, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. I knew that because one day I was preaching. At the end of preaching, I felt funny, sat down, and I woke up in an ambulance. Some of you know my story. Some of you don't. By the name, my name's Josh Wood, and I'm the senior pastor here, in case you're new and you don't know that. You're thinking, who is this guy up the front? Um, these are some of my stories anyway. So anyway, I was, I was diagnosed with, with, um, with brain cancer, and I'm sitting there praying, and well, anyway, they wanted to do emergency surgery, and I said no. I've seen, prior to that point, I have seen God heal people of cancer and tumors, you name it, prior to that point in time. Uh, and so I'm like, you know what, I've seen God heal people of this, really appreciate your help, but I'm going to go away and pray, and I believe God's going to heal me. And so anyway, I'm going away, and I'm praying, and I'm like, you know, diagnosed with brain cancer, I'm praying, Lord, what, what should I do? You know what the Lord said to me? I'm expecting Josh do this, say that, you know. He says, I want you to go to Okinawa and strengthen my bride there. And I'm like, what? Anyway, I'm like, yeah, Lord, that's not the question that I'm asking. Has anyone ever realized in the Gospels, quite often people ask a question and it seems like Jesus is answering a different question? Has anyone ever noticed that? Because he's answering the question that we should really be asking. Our mind is here. Lord, what should I do about this stuff? And he's saying, you know what? This is what I want you to do up here. Don't be earthly minded. Be heavenly minded. So anyway, he's telling me this. I want you to go to Okinawa. Long story short, I didn't see that miracle healing that I was expecting at that point in time. And, uh, and that's a story for another day. 
but they end up doing emergency surgery. Uh, I couldn't see for, for about five days. I literally couldn't see at all. They didn't even tell me that was going to happen. I didn't know if my sight was going to come back or not. And, uh, and all through that time, every single time I prayed, the Lord said, I want you to go to Okinawa and strengthen my bride there. If we're honest with ourselves, would we be offended if the Lord said that to us? If we're asking, Lord, but what about this? And he's like, yeah, I want you to go do this. There's opportunity for offense every time. So I'm like, I don't even know where Okinawa is, Jesus. Like, how do I know how to get there? Anyway, so I do, as any you know, sane person does, I Google it and check, check Dr. Google, what Google says. And I found out... I'd heard, heard the name Okinawa. I had no idea what it was. It's actually the southernmost island of Japan. It's closer to Taiwan um, than it is to Japan. And I'm like, okay, here we go. The Lord's been sending me to Japan. This obviously has something to do with God's plan in Japan. He said, I want you to go to Okinawa and strengthen my Okinawan bride. All the while I'm praying about what to do with this diagnosis. Long story short, um, I ended up speaking to a couple of friends in Japan. I knew people by that stage. And they're like, I know people in Okinawa. Anyway, God ends up opening up this opportunity to go to Okinawa. And, uh, and there was a few who came on that trip. My dad was there. James, who, who was here early in the meeting, but he's been raptured. Uh, you, can, you can all give him grief later for not being here, but he was here that trip as well. Um, I literally book a trip to go to Okinawa at the word of the Lord. Okay, this time there was a church there that was going to receive us. We go to Okinawa. It was a powerful trip. God did some wonderful things. Before we got to Okinawa, I remember one, one time we were in uh, Toyonaka, I believe it was, down near Osaka, and, uh, and ministered in a church that met in the, the top floor of a restaurant. This lady owned a restaurant. Uh, and this was the top floor. And I ministered in that church and God broke out in a crazy way. I was actually sitting on a black uh, leather couch and the couch and me were covered with gold dust. It was pretty wild. It was, it was kind of fun. This one lady got up. To, I went to pray for her. And when I went to pray for her, she literally just got just all over her covered with gold dust. I know I don't speak about this stuff much. Because people freak out about it. I freaked about, out about it once upon a time. So just, just got to deal with it. Anyway, um, the, the streets are paved with gold in heaven. If you have a problem with gold here on earth, you're not going to have a great time in heaven, okay? Um, so anyway, so God was just doing wonderful things. I remember um, my dad and James were like, grew some man's leg out. And then he prayed for his wife. Her leg was growing out. It was just wild. God did great stuff. Anyway, we get down to Okinawa. We are literally here. We invested our time, our money, all these things, literally at the word of the Lord. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road as a disciple. What are you willing to put on the line to do what God has called you to do? We get there to this church, uh, and they had like what we do at pre-service prayer time. We get there, we get to this pre-service prayer time. Never been here, don't know anyone here. We walk into the prayer room, and this little old Okinawan lady, I say that because she was so cute and beautiful, I don't, it's not condescending. She sees us, she flips out and comes running up to us. Do you remember this, Dad? She's so excited, she's talking, blah, 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 and I'm like, what is going on? She's like grabbing us and she's crying and it's just a phenomenal. 
And then someone translates, and this is the translation. She said, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was probably around about the time the Lord spoke to me. She said, one day during prayer, I saw a vision. She was a prayer warrior, an intercessor. And she said, I saw a vision of four men coming to Okinawa. And there was four in our group. She said, you are that four men that I saw in that vision. And she, and she said, and God has brought you to Okinawa to bring change to my island. She said, I saw you come on an ark and land on our island. You got out and you spoke over the land. And I saw the power of God go, go out over, over our island and it brought change to our island. And God wants you to know that he has brought you here to bring change to our island. Now that's literally like the first little five minutes of being, who, who knows that after getting there, I'm like, Praise God. I def- obviously, I heard the Lord here. It was good. But anyway, God moved in a powerful way. It was wonderful. People getting blessed, healed, saved. It was just incredible. We even had a gemstone appear in that meeting. That was fun. Um, but that's a story for another day. But this is the thing is that all of those testimonies, I have them because of the test. I have those testimonies in my life and many, many more because I was willing to put everything on the line to follow Jesus. I remember one day in prayer, I'm like, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, Josh, I'm going to Japan. Are you going to come with me? And I'm like, all right, Lord, I guess that's a yes for me. Uh, but, But this is the thing is that Again, guys, we will never go. It doesn't matter what God's calling you to, what it looks like in your life. Maybe it's personal things. Maybe it's like my story with work or with the car, whatever it might be, is that as the people of God, we are never going to step into the greater things. We're never going to step into the fullness of what God has asked us uh, to, to have and to receive and walk in unless we're willing to not be people that live by what we see, but people that walk by faith. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Sometimes faith calls you to walk on the water when everything inside you is saying, this is a bad idea, you're going to sink, this is stupid, this is not wisdom. Now I'm not saying go out and do something dumb, alright, like jump off the pinnacle of the temple, alright. It's not about putting God to the test. It's not about God calling you to do something at the cost of his character of nature. God would never ask you to do that. N- nothing gets contrary to what, uh, who we know him to be through his word. But the reality is, is that if you follow him, he will ask you to do things that doesn't make sense to your mind. And if we aren't willing to follow him beyond what we see beyond earthly wisdom, then we're never going to have those kinds of testimonies in our life. You've been listening to a Zion Church podcast. For more information about Zion Church, go to zionchurch.info. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash zionchurchgc. And on Instagram, we're at zionchurchofficial. 